What's going on? Welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here at the Auctioner Sports Performance Center in Metairie. And it is a busy day on the campus for the Saints and the Pelicans as it is Pelicans Media Day, which always gets me excited because it's basically the start of a new season for New Orleans. I feel like the first day of school, you know, waking up on Christmas morning, all those feels come into play today as the Pelicans get set for the 2018-19 season after an unbelievable year for them last year, making it to the Western Conference semifinals. And Sunday will be here before you know it. It won't be just the Saints game day. It'll be a Pelicans game day as well as their first preseason game is in Chicago against the Bulls. We're going to cover everything today from the Saints and the Pelicans. And of course, Mondays are always great when the Saints win, and especially it feels just a little better when you beat your rivals. And that's what the Saints did yesterday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 43-37 to over the Atlanta Falcons in overtime. It started late in the game. 37-30 to Falcons lead until Drew Brees and company. What a methodical, solid drive for Drew Brees and company. And it ended with Drew Brees and a spin move. A solid touchdown for Brees to go 30, make it 37-37. to Defense came up huge and stopped the Falcons to force overtime. And then the Falcons didn't even get to touch the ball. Even with the new overtime rules, Drew Brees went down the field and it ended with him another score in the end zone to give the Saints a 43-37 win. Defensive line played well. Cameron Jordan with a couple big sacks. Marcus Davenport gets his first sack. And then Alex Okafor in the special teams unit with a huge block um, to set up a scoring drive for the Saints. And so an, an unbelievable game, and, and J.D. talks about it, and we'll talk about it with him here in just a few moments about this rivalry, and it always brings entertaining games. And I'm not sure why both games between the Saints and Falcons are not on primetime just because of how huge the game is. It's always entertaining, and it's now becoming one of the best rivalries in the NFL. I'm not just saying that just because we're in this building, but if you look at them all across, there's really not one that is as, you know, as more intense and as entertaining as Falcon Saints do. And it will be showcased with the next one here at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome on Thanksgiving night when those two collide there. But the Saints improved to 2-1. and one. Now we'll wait to see what the Bucks do tonight on Monday Night Football to see if they will sit at top the NFC South along with the Panthers, who won again this weekend. And those Buccaneers could have three teams at 2-1 and one, and the Falcons at 1-2. and two. New Orleans now hits the road again for one against the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. And we'll begin to preview that with John the Shazer as well. So we'll have John the Shazer, NewOrleansSaints.com, as we always do on Mondays. And then Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com will join us as well to talk about Pelicans Media Day, some of the interesting storylines heading into training camp. What should you, the fans, look out for when watching these preseason games or listening to them on the radio, as I hope you will, and plus, it meant much more. So a happy Monday to everyone. Also, LSU with a big win this weekend over Louisiana Tech. Now, I believe, jumping into the top five in the AP poll. So the Tigers now get ready for those Rebels of Ole Miss. And uh, could be another solid weekend for all teams, LSU, New Orleans Saints, and the Pelicans this upcoming weekend. All right, enough from me. Let's get to it. It's the Black and Blue Report, presented by SeatGeek. It's yours right now. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. 
As promised, now we're joined by John DeShazer of NewOrleansSaints.com. Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com will join us in a few minutes here to talk Pelicans Media Day. But first, we have to talk about the big win for the Saints over the Falcons in overtime yesterday, 43-37. to And, J.D., I was following your tweets throughout the game, and the one thing that you pointed out, which I completely agree with, and it was so true after yesterday's game, was why this game was not nationally televised or in prime time or some way. So, Because for a noon game... That was as best as you can get. Well, I mean, it's a one. It's a rivalry game, so you know both both teams are going to have the best, going to draw out the best in each other. But two, we're talking about the Falcons won the division a couple of years ago. Uh, the Saints won the division last year, and it's a prime time level game. So yeah, it it should have been on on national TV. Let's talk about the the game for a second, just in general. A very high-scoring game. I think we all kind of expected that based on these two offenses with the Falcons and the Saints, but, of course, two defenses that I guess kind of struggled yesterday. Would you say that both defenses struggled, or was it more just the offenses playing well yesterday? No, both defenses struggled. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the Saints had guys running rampant through the secondary uh, when they couldn't get the requisite amount of pressure on Matt Ryan. And, look, Matt Ryan's a really, really good quarterback. And, I mean, he's got – Julio Jones, who draws a lot of attention, and now we see he's got Calvin Ridley, who looks to be pretty good. But you you shouldn't get shredded like the Saints did in the secondary that way. And I'm sure Atlanta's saying the same thing today about their secondary and their lack of pressure that they were able to apply on Drew Brees. Uh, neither team, you knew it was going to be one of those games where whoever got the ball last was going to win it because neither team could really get a stop. Uh, and the stops were so few and far between, you can barely remember when there was a three and out because neither team seemed to be able to get off the field defensively, and neither one was able to force the turnover. I noticed this a lot yesterday with the Falcons' secondary, that they seemed to can't figure out how to line up on a lot of plays. There were times where I know Drew Brees missed Alvin Kamara wide open on one that no one was covering him. There was a few times, especially late in the game, when Ricardo Allen went out with that Achilles injury, that they just seemed lost. Was that just more of a scheming thing by the Saints, or was that just the Falcons kind of looking like they couldn't figure things out? What well, to do? I think some of that was personnel-wise. I mean, Keanu O'Neal got hurt. He was a big part of their secondary. Then Ricardo Allen got hurt. He's a big part of their secondary. And if you're talking about two guys like that who are able to direct and put people in the right positions, then you're probably going to have uh, some mishaps back there. And then you're playing against a guy, Drew Brees, who knows exactly what the weaknesses are and knows how to manipulate things. So I think a lot of that, you know, I don't I don't I don't think it was a scheme thing. I think it was just a, a lack of familiarity between the players and you see that sometimes. Now, when we see that with the Saints, they don't have that lack of familiarity with each other. So when they see it, then it's just mental bust and those kinds of things. But it you know, those things happen during the course of a game. You don't like to see it, but you know, those guys, you know, players are human too and sometimes those guys just have a mental blip, burp, whatever you want to call it, and, and they can have those kinds of lapses where somebody can be running you know, wide open free. I want to go back to uh, the defense real quick because I think the defensive line stood out yesterday for the Saints with Cam Jordan with a, uh, with a few sacks and then Marcus Davenport getting into the fold. And I remember one play where both those guys from both directions getting in, um, Matt Ryan. That was nice to see as far as the defensive line putting some pressure on the Falcons yesterday. Well, Cam said earlier that Marcus Davenport, he looks lean. He's 6'6", and I think he's listed at 265. He looks lean. Uh, got skinny legs, as a matter of fact, but he's stronger than he looks. And he he got in there on the bull rush, a really nice rush from the rookie. Uh, but, yeah, the defensive line generated some pressure. They just had to rush so much because, you know, the Falcons, 
you know, I, I saw a couple of tweets, and, you know, I, I I agree with it. I don't know why the Falcons were trying to run. I mean, they couldn't run the ball against the Saints. The Saints basically took that away and said, we're going to make you throw it. But the Saints were able to get some pressure against them, even though Matt Ryan was getting rid of it pretty early, and even though he, you know, but when he had to hold it, Cam Jordan is as good a player, period, as there is in the league, not just pass rush. He's as good a defensive player as you will find on any roster. So if he's out there and you got somebody, you know, poor soul trying to block him one-on-one, then he's going to win. At some point, he's going to win. Now, he might not win, you know, 17, 18, 20 times, but he might win a critical five or six times. And he, he was able to get back there. And, again, Davenport, I thought Sheldon Rankins had some real nice plays up the middle as well as David on Yamada. So, you know, they were able to get some things going there. And, and, and on the last Saint, on the last Falcons uh, offensive play of regulation, I thought uh, Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator, sent A.J. Klein on a blitz. And A.J. Klein applied the pressure that forced the incompletion from Matt Ryan, which turned out to be huge because, again, the Saints had difficulty getting off the field and getting stops defensively. And that might have been the one that, that might have preserved it because, you know, if the Falcons convert that third down, who knows what's going to happen. They've got one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history. Yeah, uh, I think that was a big concern there on that last drive for the Falcons. They still had a minute to go there and a chance to win it before going to overtime. And it always seems to be with the Falcons. I don't know what it is between Saints and Falcons for our special teams, but, you know, the phrase never punt, I feel like that should be a thing with the Falcons just because another great special teams play by Alex Okafor and that turned out to be a huge turning point in the ballgame. Well, it was big. Now, the, the first two punts, Steve Gleason's and Michael Marty's, those seemed to be more schematic for the yeah. Saints. But this one was just – Okafor just beat him. I mean, he, I don't, you know, he just beat the guy. He dipped his right shoulder. He got inside of him. And then it was just a race back to the punter, and he beat him back there. But, yeah, the Saints seemed to figure out a way to block punts against the Falcons. They blocked three punts in the Sean Payton era against the Falcons. They won all three of those games. Uh, it's incredible, and I, I can't say offhand that they have a punt block against anybody else. You know, just you know, just offhand, I can't remember anybody else, but they've gotten three against the Falcons, So, and every time they get them, they win the game. Let's go to the Saints' final drive of regulation, a methodical, just gritty drive by Drew Brees and the Saints that ended with Drew Brees in the spin move. I don't think I've ever seen Drew do a move like that unless I'm playing the NFL Madden video game where you're able to control Drew Brees do that spin move. But man, oh man, what a drive for them at the end of the game. You just kind of had that feeling with Drew that 37-30, you know, six, five minutes to go in the fourth quarter that Drew was going to draw up and be something special there in that last drive. Well, those are... I, I hate to be melodramatic about it, but those are championship-level drives, that one and the overtime drive. The overtime drive was 15 plays, 80 yards, and ate up, I think, seven, eight minutes of the overtime, which is ridiculously efficient when you're talking along those terms. And, again, that was a pressure drive to finish out the the the, 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 the regulation. Uh, 11 plays, 81 yards, uh, 543 on the drive. Those are crazy numbers under those circumstances when you absolutely positively have to have it. That sounds like a commercial, huh? Yeah. <laughs> when you got to have it uh, and everybody knows you got to have it, you know, you, a field goal does you no good in this situation. Uh, you've got to get a touchdown. And they put together one of those kinds of – that's a championship type of drive. And I don't care if it's against a beat-up Falcons defense or I don't care if it's against, you know, your, your little sister's team. You want to have those kind of – because that can only instill confidence as you go along. 
and something else for the Saints. I, you know, I did a little research this morning. Uh, they're averaging, if you include the overtime touchdown yesterday, they're averaging 18 points a game in the fourth quarter in the first three. And they're averaging 35 a game overall. So half their points they're scoring in the fourth quarter. Um, you're not going to keep up that pace. So, you know, Saints fans, don't get, don't get giddy. That's not going to happen. But you do know that if you've got to have it, you're capable of getting it. And, and that's got to be – you don't want to fall back on that. That's a dangerous trap to fall into. Oh, we can fall behind. We'll make a comeback. All we need is a couple of positions in the fourth quarter. Sooner or later, that comes back to bite you. But right now, um, they are extremely efficient in the fourth quarter in terms of not just scoring, scoring touchdowns, which is big. Before we move on to Pelicans and bring in Jim Eichenhofer, let's uh, turn our turn the page a little bit. I know with it being Monday, everyone still talk about a big win, especially against your rival. But now Saints are 2-1, two, two straight wins for them, and go back on the road next week with the Giants. And, J.D., based on the secondary situation with the Saints kind of struggling again, and Calvin Ridley had a, a big day yesterday, that now you face Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and a, and a solid Giants wide receiving core crew that – it's going to be another tough one for the Saints up there in the Meadowlands. Well, Sean Payton said it succinctly on his conference call this morning. Uh, everybody's going to be throwing deep. Um, they see what's happening. Either they're getting the long completion or they're getting the pass interference. So why not? Uh, until you show that you can stop it, uh, people are going to just keep going to that well. That's just like running off left tackle. If I can get seven yards every time I run off left tackle, I'm just going to run off left tackle 59 times until you stop it. So people are going to keep throwing deep because the Saints haven't shown – and ability to be able to stop it. They started P.J. Williams yesterday in place of King Crawley. Uh, P.J. was the main target against Ridley, and he played so poorly they had to bring Crawley back in. Uh, Patrick, Robinson, Patrick Robinson gets injured later in the game, and when Patrick Robinson goes down as your nickel, now P.J. Williams and King Crawley both have to be on the field. But more than that, Patrick Robinson was one of the best nickel corners in the NFL last year. And it looks like he might be out for a while. When you get carted off, that doesn't look like you're going to be back the next week. And then, again, as you just mentioned, you're playing a team that's got pretty good receivers. So uh, the Saints are going to have to figure something out. Um, and one of the things Coach Payton said was maybe they have to minimize what it is they're doing. Uh, and some, and by minimizing, instead of giving up an explosive play, a 65, 70, 75-yard touchdown, maybe you force a team to have to drive it, chip away, chip away, chip away. Because the more plays you put into a drive, the more likely it is you can force a mistake or they will make a mistake, uh, a holding penalty, uh, an offensive pass interference. Maybe you get to the quarterback and tip a pass. Maybe you get a sack and a fumble. But if they get the quick strike stuff, you know, if it's five plays, 70 yards, then, you know, those are the ones that just eat you up defensively because you don't have an, uh, you, you, you're not impacting them whatsoever. You're not forcing them to earn it so they're gonna have to do some things in the secondary i don't know where they turn if patrick robinson can't go uh, they might have to probably um the, the consideration i would imagine would be maybe arthur millette bringing him back uh, he was the guy who was with the team throughout training camp made the 53 man was released last week for roster purposes but he's a guy he's a candidate to come back uh, but there are some issues there in that secondary and, and hopefully it's something that can be solved sometimes it can be solved with a pass rush but we saw yesterday the saints got a pretty good pass rush and still on that back end, it was it was pretty loose. All right. Well, uh, J.D., put your Pelicans hat on now as we uh, talk Pelicans for basically, I think, the first time since we started the uh, the podcast for this season. I know we talked about the schedule coming up, and now uh, we bring in Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. And 
guys, for one, I just can't believe we're, we're at this point. It seems like the offseason just flew by, and here we go, less than a week away from preseason game number one in Chicago. I think part of the reason why the offseason felt like it flew by was there was something happening in the NBA. It seemed like every week there was some story coming out. There was a player who wants to change teams. I mean, it was... I mean, there's been a lot of really interesting NBA off seasons, but I think this might have been number one on the list over the last bunch of years. Yeah, I think by far the NBA is the pettiest league going, <laughs> and I'm here for it. I, I, I mean, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm all with it, man. I mean, it's like it's like a bat, a poorly written soap opera, but you can't turn away. So, I, hey, I loved it. I loved it because it did keep it did stitch it together, and there really was no off season. Do you think the broadcasters should start doing some of these petty wars on Instagram and Twitter and start going back and forth like I some don't of these know, players I are? don't know if we're as clever because the players, I mean, when the players are, are petty, man, they, I mean, they go in. They lean in hard, <laughs> man. It's personal when they lean in. I don't know if I, don't know if I have the, 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 the discipline to be, you know, to not want to, like, say something real. Because, again, they get real personal. And then <laughs> – I don't, I don't want nobody getting personal like that with me. I, I, I take offense, and I'd probably say something to get me fired. I think the extra layer that the broadcasters might need is family members jumping into the <laughs> – if you can get a, your brother to jump into the mix and say something nasty about somebody, that seems to be when it takes it to a different level. My mom will protect me. I know she'll go into the conversation. When I, when I see Andrew Wiggins' brother, like, hallelujah about Jimmy Butler, I'm thinking to myself, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, why would you do that? So, I mean, that that's the kind of thing that would, you know, whew, man, I just, I wouldn't be able to contain myself. I, I'm sure I would say something and I would be looking for employment somewhere else. You know, this is a whole other conversation, but we have seen over the years in situations where, where family members or siblings have jumped into conversations with social media and caused problems and yes. created issues yes. with, within so it, it really is, I mean, it seems like it's kind of coming to a head, but it also, to me, I thought it was something that uh, a few years ago was going to kind of settle down as far as people, know, family members knowing, like, you don't jump on Twitter and say negative stuff about teammates. You don't say, hey, my brother should be playing more because we've seen that happen before yeah. in the past. So, but it's interesting when you, social media has added a I'm, whole new layer to I'm, all of this stuff. It's a pity that I... I I, I, I'm addicted. I love it. Hashtag NBA Twitter. That's been a big thing now. Undefeated. 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 Well, let's talk about Pelicans Media Day. Everyone's showing up here for Pelicans Media Day, which is good news for New Orleans. And kind of the narrative, and you can tell me whether this is fair or not, just based on what the national media is saying about this team, is you lose Cousins, you lose Rondo, you get Alfred Payne and Julius Randle, and a lot of people on paper saying, well, the Pelicans are dropping off. But – I know maybe I'm just being a homer here, but I think the way those two additions fit with this team that I still think this is a solid team heading into a season where the Western Conference is very tough. Is it a fair narrative, by the way? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things that we saw last year, and anyone who closely follows basketball already knew this, is that sometimes the fit of personnel makes a bigger is, is more important than talent. And sometimes the style of play, when you can fit it, to your personnel, you end up with much better results than maybe most people thought. And in terms of, in terms of Randall Payton taking over, however you want to put it for Cousins and Rondo, I think from, from my perspective, I'm sure a lot of the people that are Pelicans fans feel the same way. If you've watched a lot of the national co coverage of the team this summer, predictions and so forth, um, 
I think there's been some mis- kind of misleading things as far as like the Pelicans, for example, aren't going to look at those two guys and say, we want you to do what the two guys that left are did exactly. Um, also, I think just, I think people, are, you guys can tell me if you agree with this or disagree, but I think people under are underestimating a little bit of how well they played in the last couple months of the season. It kind of went under the radar a little bit as far as nationally in terms of just how good this team was in March and April. The fact that they had a 10 game winning streak and then had a nine game winning streak. So I think, from my perspective, I think people have been more negative than I thought they would be about the Pelicans going into the season nationally. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that, and I, I wonder about the expectations. I, I will say this, you know, losing Boogie, to me, I don't know if it sounds crazy or not, but to me that was a, a, a lesser blow than losing Rondo. Mm-hmm. I just thought Rondo was a guy who, with his basketball IQ and with his feistiness and you know, with his leadership abilities, uh, a guy who who studied to a degree where you know he he knew what everybody else was you know calling out as opponents and and, and got his teammates into that mode too. I think losing him was really big, and and you know it would take you know it would be unnecessary to put that kind of burden on Alfred Payton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a young guy. He's he hadn't had a time to groom himself to be that kind of guy, but. That said, that's the expectation because that's a huge miss. It's not necessarily missing, you know, Rondo in terms of, you know, sheer raw numbers, yeah. although he could put up some sheer raw numbers, but it's the intangibles, that kind of thing. Who, you know, he he jumped up in 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 Draymond Green's chest. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, who's that guy? I mean, you know, you need that kind of guy who says, "Look, fellas, you know, follow me. We we we're going to fight and follow me." And so who's going to be that guy? Is that Julius Randle? Because I like, I like Randle's game from a standpoint of he plays rough enough to where if I had to guard him, I wouldn't want to because yeah. he's coming in elbows and knees high. He's coming in hot, elbows man. Elbows blazing. Yeah, he's coming in hot, and I wouldn't want to have to be in front of him. <laughs> but is he that guy who's going to give you, you know, that portion of, of Rondo? So, you know, I can, I can see why people had some lower some expectations. But, you know, this is a nice young team, and, and you know, I think – especially Drew Holiday. Drew's got to continue to be what he was last year. Last year was as good as I've ever seen him. And if he can keep on that, at least, you know, play play like that, then then this team can do some things. I think a big storyline here for training camp and it shows with the number of people in training camp for the Pelicans. I believe it's 19 guys on the roster, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but I believe it's 19 that the guard play is going to stick out here in training camp as far as whether who makes a team with some healthy competition and then the play of Alfred Payton, Frank Jackson coming back from injury. Is that the biggest thing that Pelicans fans should look out for heading into some training camp days and the preseason games this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. Another thing is also how they're going to put together the combination of A.D., Miritich, and Randall. Um, how much those guys are going to play together, you know, what kind of pairings you're going to look at, how the starting lineup is going to work. Um, is each one more still going to start at small forward the way it was last year? Um, they also signed Jarrett Jack, who I think was a good pickup in terms of he had a really good year last year as a, as a starting point guard for most of the year for the Knicks. Um, he could be playing some backup point guard minutes this year. Um, so, I mean, there's, there, I think the training camp in preseason is going to be really interesting this year with all the different moves and all the changes that have been made. Yeah, a lot of chemistry to work out. And training mm-hmm. camp is where you do it. I do like the Jack pickup. I, I think Jared Jack might end up closing out a decent amount of games because, you know, you got a veteran guy who 
not going to lose his head. And I think he's got enough respect to where, you know, guys will listen to him. He can direct an offense. I think he might give you some of that. You know, the thing I liked a lot about Rondo was he wasn't trying to stat hog. It looks like, you know, you give him an outlet pass. If the guy's ahead, he's going to throw it. Mm -hmm. And and that makes guys want to play. And I think Jared Jack will give you some of that. Let's talk about Jalil Okafor for a second because I think he's another guy that we're going to have to keep an eye on on throughout training camp as far as making this team and what he can contribute. Pelicans already have a plethora of bigs as we talked about with Nico and Julius and AAD, but obviously after that, though, there will be some time for maybe another big to step in and do something. I feel like with Jalil, this could be a great fresh start for him since he's kind of struggled in the last few years with different teams. Yeah, I mean, he's on a team that has a has a clear direction right now. Um, he was with Philly at the beginning of last season, but they at that point he really didn't have a role, so it was a totally different situation. But he's been – I mean, he was with Brooklyn last year, a team that struggled. Um, just like with Alfred Payton and Julius Randle to some extent to me, one of the things that I'm looking forward to watching with Jaleel is playing with better players, having better guys around him, um, being with Anthony Davis. Um, so I think – it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact he can make. I think he's in really good shape too. So I know that he, t- he talked about this, that that had been part of the stumbling block that he had earlier in his career. So, but it, he's a really interesting story just with, you know, where, what, what's happened so far in his career and the way the game is going away from those traditional back to the basket kind of guys. But I think he's, he also wants to show that he isn't just a low post guy, which is the game is kind of going away from. he, can make mid-range shots and maybe be a little bit of a playmaker and that kind of thing. Yeah, I just hope he doesn't try to get too far outside of his box. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, because, yeah, he wants to expand and, and show he's more versatile. But if you try to do too much that you aren't, then it can then it can work against you. So he, he does look like he's in great shape. We've seen him walking around the campus. So um, I think that will play in his favor because, you know, get up and down the floor and get some cheap buckets. And, you know, if you get some early rim runs and get some early posts, you're going to be back to the basket anyway, so it really, yeah. <laughs> really won't matter about your mid-range game. You can get some cheap buckets that way. I'm, I'm glad you – oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I I think, too, what, what J.D. just said, too, about you know getting some post-ups. To me, we don't know what his role is going to be, but you can kind of picture a second unit where he comes in and you can dump it inside to him. Last year, the, the backup unit didn't really have a guy that was like a go-to scorer, and when I picture him, maybe he can be – say Al Jefferson was when he was with the Pacers and he was coming off the bench. It's great to have a, an option off the bench that you can post up because, you know, that's a lot more consistent offense if you can have a guy that can score with his back to the basket as opposed to just relying on jumpers. Sometimes, you know, everybody's cold and not making their shots. So, I mean, best case scenario to me, maybe that's what his role could be in the NBA is that he comes in off the bench and he gives you some scoring punch and he's somebody that you can – kind of anchor your offense a little bit around we haven't talked about ad much but we just know the type of player that he is and how great he is and you know what we expect from him but you touched on something with with okafor that i think stands out with some of these new guys is some of these guys are not used to playing with guys like anthony davis including okafor including julius randall who mentioned it before as far as playing with ad he didn't have anyone like that with the lakers and then alfred payton uh, having someone like that as far as even the lobs to do. You didn't have that in Phoenix. You didn't have it in Orlando. So do you feel like maybe AD's going to be able to bring the best out of some of these guys that haven't been in this situation before? Yeah, I, I mean, that's one thing that he, he definitely can do. And I think, too, um, if the other thing, too, if AD, to me, AD and Drew 
play the way they did. If both of those guys play at the level that they reached in February, March, April in the playoffs last year, of course you want to see the new guys that you've brought in and everyone else around them have the best year that they can possibly have to maximize what you can get out of the team. But to me, that's another reason to be very optimistic and positive about expectations for the season is, is AD and Drew continuing and just building upon what they did that at the end of last season. I think if they play as well as they did at the tail end of, of the year, there's no way this team doesn't make the playoffs. And I think that might be a little bit as crazy as it sounds with, I think everyone nationally knows how good AD is. I do think sometimes people, I don't want to say forget, but kind of don't factor that in as, as much as maybe they should that at the level he played at, I mean, the, the team is going to be really good regardless. Yeah. I think people forget about it because I, you know, covering football and seeing Drew Brees. And I think you, you see greatness and then you start taking it for granted mm. that a guy drops 27 and gets you 12 rebounds and two and a half locks. And you say, oh, you know, another night for AD. Well, that's that's phenomenal every night. And to do it for 15 and 20 and 30 game stretches, you know, he gets into historic type numbers. So, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, I, I think him being on the floor, that's, that should elevate Elfrin. That should elevate Randall. Uh, it should get open looks for Nico and those kinds of things. So, you know, having those kinds of guys on the floor, it can only it, – it should help guys be better if they're confident. All right, before I let you go, I know we touch, I touched on this at the beginning as far as storylines look out for training camp. But you, you can either give me one player or whether it's something on the offensive end or the defensive end that you're really going to hone in on for these five preseason games in training camp. Give me something that you guys, you personally, are going to really focus on for this preseason. I think, for me, it's going to be going back to the pace that they played at last year, that you have a new starting point guard with Alfred Payton, potentially the starter. You have a new backup. You have um, a few other guys. Julius Randle played in a really fast pace system with the Lakers, so it's something that he's used to. But um, just uh, J.D. mentioned this, and it's a very good point as far as the role that Rondo had last year in kind of setting up everything with the offense, making sure that they were always pushing the – the ball. So I think even though I don't think we should probably look at bottom line results in preseason because we really never do too much of that. Um, I think that's what I'm going to watch is just the style of play and just their ability to maintain what they did last year. Yeah, I'll just keep track of Alfred. I just want to see how he adapts, uh, see how he handles his role. I know, you know, preseason isn't always the best barometer, but hopefully you'll see some cohesion there. I mean, generally that takes getting into the regular season when you really get into the fire of it. But you, know, you just want to see him adapting and looking comfortable with what he's doing with this team. Guys, here we are. You ready to go? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm ready because – I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of preseason games or preseason games yet. <laughs> but uh, but I, I am, I'm excited to see these guys. I mean, think about it. How often do you get a chance? And maybe Jim can answer this better than me because I hadn't, you know, how often do you get, get a chance to, to see a Hall of Fame level player like Anthony Davis on a mm. nightly basis? That's, you know, that, that excites me in itself. But then after getting a taste of the playoffs last year, if the guys coming back on this team don't have some fire to say, mm. you know what? That's that's what we want. If they don't have that, then then I wonder about their maturity level because they should come out like like really gangbusters in the beginning after they had a taste last year. Yeah, I mean, today always feels like the first day of school, but yep. from the first couple hours that I've been here, one of the things that 
I've picked up from just watching people is just it does seem like the excitement and the enthusiasm of the, among the players is the highest highest it's been in a while. And I I know a lot of years people say like oh people are excited about the season, but but now as JD just referenced, they have something very tangible to point to of saying this is something we accomplished. It, it's not a very vague idea of something that's possible that you're trying to put together. Um, it's a very tangible thing that they can look at and say, we finished the regular season 20 and eight last year. We swept the first round series. I just feel like the confidence level because of that is really the highest it's been in a long time and that they, that they know what they're capable of now. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate it. And we uh, look forward to a nice season here. Anytime. Looking forward I'm to looking it. Looking forward to it. All right, that'll do it for the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. On Wednesday, of course, Sean Kelly will be hosting. And, of course, we'll have plenty of coverage here from Media Day and Training Camp and also look ahead for the Saints as they take on the New York Football Giants on Sunday afternoon. And then Caroline Gonzalez, Cindy Robinson, and Ashley Amos will get you ready for Saints-Giants and also preview the two games of the weekend, I guess Sunday against the Bulls for the Pelicans and then Monday against the Hawks. For Daniel Salerson, Jim Offer, John DeShazer, Mario Jerez, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Wednesday.